0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Chris, and I'll be uh, offering this uh, Dharma talk today on the topic of equanimity. This is part two of a series of four uh, uh, of these uh, chapters on equanimity, these sessions on equanimity. And the reason why I'm doing these four parts is a lead-in to an online eight-week retreat offering uh, that I'm facilitating. So I'll go ahead and and, uh, make the announcements about that now, since I've already started down that path. (laughs) So, as I mentioned, uh, offering an autumn retreat uh, on the topic of equanimity. This retreat is entitled, Equanimity, The Clear-Seeing Heart. It's all online it's it launches September twenty sixth then runs to November 18th uh, we meet on Sundays and Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Pacific Coast time so adjust your clocks accordingly if you want to make the live sessions uh, they're all recorded and so uh, if you want to do the whole program on your own in your own time uh, then you're welcome to do that or if you need to miss several of the sessions and you want to make some of them live, you can do that as well. It's completely up to you. It's at your own pace. There's a section two, uh, which is roughly the same time, September 27th to November 18th. Uh, But section two is specifically offered for uh, people in Europe or or people here in Asia or Australia who find the other time zone uh, quite uh, the other timing quite challenging to make so that's at 9 a.m uk time section two so again they're all recorded live so if you if you can make the live sessions that's great because we're kind of cultivating a, a really nice online community i, I cap the retreat at uh, 15 participants uh, so it's a really nice way to meet other people's uh other people who are practicing A nice nice way to share the journey of cultivating uh, these very, very profound qualities uh, of equanimity. Okay, enough about that. So I will offer now uh, just a brief guided meditation as a kind of a way of setting the stage or setting the table for this topic of equanimity. Uh, This Guided meditation is optional, so if you wish to just uh, you know, get up and stretch, move around, uh, and come back uh, maybe five minutes later, then I'll be uh, moving into the Dharma talk. But that being said, the opening meditation is selected with an intention of really allowing us to come here to meet this present moment, to open our heart, to these very, very uh, delicate teachings. And so I'll ring the sound of the bell, and I'll guide us into this practice. Enjoy. And so the invitation here is, is just to arrive into this present moment. And you might arrive by just taking a nice, long, nourishing, deep breath here. And allowing the out-breath to be just a little bit slower or longer than the in-breath. That longer, slower out-breath often brings a, a sense of calm, of stillness to the heart, to the body, to the mind. And when you're ready, allowing the breath to return to its uncontrolled breathing pattern, just breathing normally, naturally. And perhaps while we're noticing the breath, you might notice the rising and falling of the abdomen. And noticing if there's any tension or stress that's being held in or around the abdomen. If you notice any stress or tension there, you could invite that to relax and grow soft. Just letting any tension or stress go. You might also notice the rib cage expanding and contracting with each breath. The rising and falling of the shoulders as you inhale and exhale. You might also notice the back moving out as you breathe in and in as you breathe out. You might notice the temperature changing from cooler to warmer at the nose and the back of the throat as the breath moves in and out. And While we're here resting with the breath, the invitation is to bring awareness and attention to the feet. And perhaps here just noticing the contact of the feet against the ground or the floor how nice it is to feel anchored and supported by this ground you might also notice the weight of the body against the cushion or chair or mat or floor. And here again, perhaps extending a thought or two of gratitude, of appreciation for the support that's being offered by the chair or the ground, the floor, the cushion. And both the floor and the seated apparatus really just serving as substitutes for planet Earth, for Mother Gaia. And so here perhaps just extending a thought or two of gratitude for the support, the nourishment that's being continuously offered by this beautiful planet. we might also notice the sensations arising from the hands and the arms perhaps noticing the hands resting against the body or touching each other you might also notice sensations of clothing against the back and the shoulders Sometimes it's nice to invite the muscles in the back and the shoulders to relax and grow soft. We often carry a lot of tension or stress in the back and shoulders, as well as the abdomen. So just inviting that to soften and relax. You might also notice sensations arising throughout the cheeks of the face. You could let any tension or stress that's held in the face go. And noticing any sensations arising from the top of the head. And so here, just taking a moment to Hold the entire body in awareness from the bottoms of the feet to the top of the head, from the tips of the fingers to the center of the heart. And resting, breathing. And so here the invitation is to bring into awareness something you feel grateful for. This could be something in your present moment experience, like grateful for the breath, this amazing inhalation which allows for our awareness, for our consciousness. And as we exhale, we send out life support to the trees and plants and flowers. This intimate connection with Mother Gaia, the breath. You might feel gratitude towards the safety of the four walls around you. the comfort of the chair or the clothing that you're wearing. The laughter of a friend, the beauty of a flower or a sunset. Whatever it is that warms your heart, When you feel that gratitude, perhaps a a softening around the heart or an opening, could be a warmth around the abdomen or the shoulders, or perhaps you might just feel like smiling. The invitation then is to breathe that gratitude directly into the heart. and as you exhale breathing out gratitude sending it out from the heart to the abdomen breathing gratitude directly into the heart and as you exhale sending it out through the shoulders this warmth of gratitude this smiling energy through the arms the elbows all the way down through the hands and the fingertips breathing in that smiling energy directly into the heart and as you exhale sending it out through the legs soaking down this warmth the smiling energy through the knees and the calves and shins through the ankles and all the way through the feet and the toes Breathing in that warmth, that smiling energy of gratitude directly into the heart. And as you exhale, sending out that warmth, that gratitude, that smiling energy through the neck and into the face, the eyes, the forehead and the top of the head. So breathing, resting, feeling, smiling, this warmth of gratitude, appreciation. And so in the next breath or two, we'll begin to shift away from the meditation and back into a conversational space. And I'll cue that by ringing the bell three times. Okay, thank you for for joining me in that guided meditation. And if you're watching this back on recording and you want to stay in that longer, press pause now. And you're welcome to explore that experience of gratitude, of appreciation, as long as you wish. But for those of us who are here live, I'm going to go ahead and proceed into today's talk. So when I was putting this talk together i i used a quote from the zen master hui ning uh, the sixth century uh, zen patriarch Uh, the quote is dark itself isn't dark it is due to light that dark becomes dark and light itself isn't light it is due to dark that light becomes light because light changes into dark, and dark gives way to light, their appearance and disappearance depend on each other. All human experience is like this. So Zen Master Hui that's from the, the Platform Sutra. And a little bit further in that same discourse, uh, Quainan goes on to uh, formulate. I think it's the twenty. I want to say the twenty-eight pairs of opposites. He he goes on to outline how all human experience arises in terms of opposites. So the practice of equanimity is the practice of cultivating the ability to rest in between those opposites when something is dark we kind of automatically say oh this is dark we don't take into account that that darkness exists somewhere on a spectrum from very light to very 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 midnight right we just consider we say that's dark and we just kind of fix it into a fixed entity it gives us something to either cling to or to struggle against so I want to read here from the early Buddhist text as well this is a a exchange between a wandering mendicant named Vachagota and Gotama the Buddha so Vachagota is asking the Buddha uh, questions And so Vajigota asks, he says, "How is it, Venerable Gotama? Does the self exist?" The Buddha remained silent. Then, "How is it, Venerable Gotama? Does the self not exist?" The Buddha again remained silent. The wanderer Vajigota got up from his seat and went away. The Buddha then turned to his attendant Ananda and said, "If I had answered the self exists, that would have encouraged eternalism. And had I answered the self does not exist, that was that would have encouraged nihilism." So the Buddha here, quite content to allow the silence, of that dialogue to be the answer wasn't that the buddha was saying oh i don't want to talk to this guy i'm just gonna sit here quiet until he walks away the silence was the answer to the question now whether Vachigota received that answer well i guess that's there's room for debate there that's not really given in the text So when we fix something, if if the Buddha said, uh, you know, the self does exist, that would have fixed the answer. And then people could, could then build a belief structure around that and cling to that and value that in some way. That's not equanimity. That's clinging to an extreme. If the Buddha had said, the self doesn't exist. There's no such thing as self. People would then, because they revered the Buddha's word at that time, arguably many of us still do today, if the Buddha said there, there, there is not a self, then perhaps, you know, 2,500 years down the road where we are today, Buddhism would look a lot like nihilism. Right? So... The idea is to practice these practices of equanimity, practice living a life or seeing the world free from our preferences and prejudices, free from the likes and dislikes that we've been taught, that we've been given by our culture, by our society, by our education, by our worldview. We can start to see the world free from those experiences an unspoken middle way arises out of that seeing that's what Aristotle called it the unspoken middle in the Abhidharma one of the early Buddhist texts equanimity is described as one of the universal beautiful states of mind the other ones being compassion joy And loving-kindness. So the reason why equanimity is considered one of these beautiful states of mind is it provides the boundlessness for loving-kindness, joy, and compassion. If you've done some of the immeasurable practices before, you know that They're delivered in such a way so that we cultivate this boundless quality. We keep widening our circle of care and compassion to include, well, first we start with ourselves and loved ones, and then people we don't know, and then with people we don't like, and then to the entire world. It becomes very, well, it becomes a lot easier to offer loving kindness to people people we don't like, people we don't know, into the entire world, when we can hold those people's belief systems, those people's political ideologies, those people's values, when we can see them through the lens of equanimity. So in a way, equanimity is the key into that boundless quality of the heart. So Bhikkhu Bodhi, the venerable monastic scholar, he describes equanimity as to stand there in the middleness of. To stand in the middleness of. Not to move towards nihilism or eternalism. Not to define something as being this or that. Being or non-being. It's not that those definitions don't exist. But to relinquish the need to find ground there. We don't need to to say we are this or we are that. As a way of defining ourselves. As a way of moving through the world. Because that ground is impermanent. So this unflappable quality of equanimity takes root. Because we're not attached to any particular outcome. We recognize that the outcome of this just becomes the causes and conditions for that. And the outcomes of that, in turn, becomes the causes and conditions for this. And so we keep kind of flowing down this path. And we recognize that if we move to being any one thing, we're falling into that extreme. If we move... From away from that, we, oh, I don't want to be in that extreme, and we move towards this, then we're going towards that extreme. And so the idea is not, not defining it. Because as soon as we attach to a definition, we start striving to, to, to reach that definition at the exclusion of all other pot- possibilities and potentials. That's why the, the illustration of light and dark are so uh, profound here, because if we have light and dark, black and white, right, well, in between that spectrum is the rainbow. And so in that illustration that Hui Ning gave, gave, which I read at the beginning of today's talk, if we can release our attachment to either being light or dark, then the colors of the rainbow become available. Life becomes much more rich and full and vibrant in the potential The sheer potential of it all so when we attach to an outcome it has to be light it has to be dark it has to be this it has to be that it has to be nihilism it has to be eternalism when we attach to any outcome we freeze that outcome into a solid fixed form we take that imaginary thing that definition out of the ever-flowing, endlessly changing river, the river of ever-change. We take that concept out and we freeze it into a solid, fixed form. It's like we're reaching into that river of ever-change and we pull it out. we, We have something here, a concept. This gives us something to cling to or push against. Love this, can't have that. And this is the normal state of human existence. We're kind of all doing this, or most of us doing this, for much of our life, much of the time. And we actually feel more alive sometimes when we embark on that, right? We feel like, yes, I have a goal. I have something that I need to, to achieve here. We feel like we're really moving towards something. That aliveness is deceptive because it only serves to reinforce who and what we think we might be. It doesn't really allow us to touch into that essence of who we actually are. It's fine to have goals. It's beautiful. Great to have goals. Wonderful. Wonderful. The issue there is is fixating on it, becoming obsessed with it. The tension, the stress, the suffering that goes along with all of that fixedness. So we have a goal, we have an outcome that we might like to bring forth, but we're also open to the, the display, the massive amount of option that the human condition allows for. And so once we recognize that each second gives birth to a multitude of options, and this second itself, this present moment, is a result of millions and millions and millions of causes and conditions coming together, landing right here and right now. Once we can really feel into that interdependence of causes and conditions and causality, this ever-unfolding, ever-changing reality that we live in, just to live in the mystery of that takes the, the hypnotic hold over fixation away. Because it's just so much more fun <laughs> to to rest in this ever-changing flux of reality. That it doesn't have to be this or that. And so, in this eight-week online retreat offering that I'm that I'll be facilitating. By the way, that's uh, good for. Beginners and advanced. I know sometimes when I speak about talks or give talks like uh, this one about equanimity and the immeasurables, I, I tend to really aim the arrow high. And that's intentional, it's, it's meant to inspire. Um, but I don't want to uh, dissuade people if there are people who are just beginning a practice. Really, I, I cater to, to people from all uh, all experience levels. So if you already have a strong, healthy meditation practice and you, you find this intriguing, please do join. If you don't meditate at all, you're welcome to join as well, and uh, we'll, you, know, we'll, you will receive benefit. <laughs> so a couple of the, the practices that I'll be offering on the eight weeks, is, one is a, a meditation just on resting. where we meditate, and in that meditation we invite everything to rest. All of our body, all of the muscles, all of the tendons, the bones, each cell of the body is invited into a state of rest. We also invite the mind to rest and the heart to rest. Because the very nature of equanimity is a nature of non-clinging, is a nature of rest. The very nature of clinging is a nature of tension, right? And so the more we allow tension to dissolve, the deeper we fall into this resting state. The more equanimity naturally comes to the surface. Because as things fall away, oh, I don't need to hold on to that. Don't need to hold on to that belief. I can let that thought go. Don't need to hold on to that right now. Let these all go. Those will all be there at the end of the meditation if you want to pick them up again. And that's fine. Some people like to do that. But just for that 20 minutes or that half an hour meditation to really experience a few moments, breath, five breaths, ten breaths, the whole 20 minutes, however long, where you can be free from everything. That's equanimity. That complete freedom from holding on. Now, in addition to that, there's a, a, a... of a a step two to that practice and this is very often called vedana practice in in the buddhist tradition vedana really means feeling tones and so as we rest very deeply finding the state of rest arriving into the state of rest then inevitably feeling tones arise pleasant or unpleasant or neutral that's just because we have a human body and a human nervous system that a human body interacting with its environment even when we're in a state of rest pleasant unpleasant and neutral continue to arise and so by cultivating a certain dexterity over noting Okay, pleasant, pleasant, pleasant. My back against the back of the chair, that's pleasant and comfortable. Oh, my foot's falling asleep. That's unpleasant, unpleasant, unpleasant. Mm, uh, Clothing against my shoulders, that's neutral, neutral. My legs, also neutral, 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 and so forth. And so we rest and we start to note Pleasant or unpleasant and neutral feeling tones that, if you're really resting, it, it might seem that they're cascading through awareness. We start with the body, and then you can add pleasant or unpleasant or neutral sounds, or even thoughts. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral thoughts that, that appear in the mind. And so... By cultivating this skill this dexterity with these feeling tones we recognize that something could be pleasant or unpleasant or neutral we recognize that those feeling tones are a different experience to our emotional reaction to those feeling tones so a space starts to open up so for example if if I'm you know, resting in meditation, and I have a pleasant thought about uh, dinner, then I can just say, oh, pleasant thought, pleasant, 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 until it fades. I didn't have to get up and go eat. I didn't have to start cooking dinner, right? So, so I wasn't clinging to it. I wasn't striving for it. I could just note the feeling tone of pleasant and let it go. That's just a very simple example, uh, but it can get it can get pretty pretty deep with that, particularly with aches and pains and itches. You know, if we're really resting, and a, an itch arises in the body, you can ask, "Can I rest with this?" And if you really Pose that question and bring yourself back to that state of resting you'll notice the itch arises it stays for a while, it might pretend to be very important and then it eventually dissolves and so here we've done the same thing, we've noted the, the feeling tone, we've noticed the sensation which gave rise to the unpleasant feeling tone but we stepped out of the emotional reactivity, we didn't need to move forward to alleviate that now this shouldn't really be a grin and bear it kind of practice that's not resting either right so if you are practicing in this way and there is unpleasantness in the body or in the mind or in the heart uh, and you feel like you need to stop meditating to adjust your foot or scratch the itch or whatever it is please do that And then return back to the practice where you left off. Neutral feeling tones are, ironically, kind of the most interesting. At least for me, I found them to be quite interesting. Because they're the part of our reality that we most easily and most often ignore. Right? You think about, like, how much of our reality is neutral. That we don't really... Even take into account, right? If we look around the room, all of the space in the room, right? The empty space is generally pretty neutral, right? We never even look at the space around our in the room around us, right? But that's a huge part of our reality all the time. Also, the silence of the present moment—it's very neutral, and it's often overlooked. It's generally the sounds that we pay attention to in our sense of hearing because sounds are generally either pleasant or unpleasant. And even the neutral sounds, they kind of just move through our awareness without, without much attention, right? So neutral feeling tones are, are interesting. They're quite important because those times in our life when we're really immersed in neutral feelings, those are the times we tend to check out. Those are the times that we kind of unconsciously, unconsciously fall into reactive habitual patterns. And, and, or we might look for something more engaging, which can be unconscious in itself, right? We go for a drink or we go for the cigarette or we turn the music up louder or whatever it is. So really finding a home in neutral, in the neutral feeling tones, is so beneficial. So it's not to find a home in indifference. Because neutral, equanimity, indifference, they can start to look quite similar. But indifference, and I I spoke to this a little bit in our last episode, so if you're interested in a more thorough explanation of indifference versus equanimity, uh, you can go visit last week's session. But just to touch on that, indifference is dull, bland, gray. It shuts off, and it allows harmful, unconscious behavior to happen, like like uh, racism and prejudice and so forth are symptoms of indifference equanimity and finding home in that neutral allows for an opening a warmth an embrace it allows for compassion to flow to people we don't know or don't like loving and kindness and joy so equanimity is quite quite has a much, much larger scope. I consider indifference, when I think of indifference, I think of something closed and contracted. Equanimity is large and vast and wide and spacious. So I think that's all I'm going to say today. I try to keep these sessions a little bit shorter now. Some of you have been with me a while. You know I can go for an hour quite easily but trying to find the middle ground there (laughs) the unspoken middle so if you found this uh, talk inspiring or entertaining in any way uh, please send over any questions you might have happy to address those or uh, sign up for the online retreat Uh, it's gonna be a great time a great program section one is almost full i think there's space for two more people on the first section but section two has quite a bit of room available Uh, so if you are curious about it send over some questions or if you want to go ahead and get registered you can message me or email me uh, and um, we'll get you signed up have a great weekend and i will see you in a week from today i'll be back with session three in one week so i'll ring the bell Thank you.